You're listening to the Irish Times. Come on, Michigan State. That's <laughs> a fairly obscure <laughs> That's a start. starting point. <laughs> <laughs> that is the obscure starting point to this morning's Added Time podcast with me, Maliki Clerken, and him, Pat Nugent. That, I am quoting there, Pat. Who are you quoting? I'm quoting my good lady wife, the current Mrs. Clerken. Well, she, she goes by her actual surname, but let's leave that for another day. Mm. Uh, and uh, she tweeted that uh, last night at she, 11 o'clock. Yes, I, I noticed this and I was wondering why is she tweeting about American college basketball? Well, you might wonder. We were sitting on the couch last night, uh, having just finished Line of Duty, of course. No spoilers. Thank you. And uh, we, she was flicking through Twitter and saw the warm-up from, from the Duke-Michigan State Elite Eight game in the NCAA, NCAA Finals in March Madness. And uh, she showed me, some guy did something cool in the layup, and she showed it to me, and she goes, do, do we have that anywhere? And I went, well, we do have an awful lot of sports channels, so let's have a look. And we found it on uh, BT Sport 3 slash ESPN. And uh, Michigan uh, were playing Duke. Now, Duke, of Duke course. Duke Zion Williamson. Zion Williamson, uh, whose name I had seen in dispatches over the last month. But, like, I don't really watch college basketball. I don't really watch basketball at all, in all honesty, but uh, I had, so the fact that he was playing for Duke, I kind of went, yeah, yeah, I watched some of this. I only heard his name because when his sneaker exploded. Indeed. There a few weeks Indeed, ago. that was a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Michigan, Explain who he is though, actually, sorry. So this guy is, uh, like I've seen him described in some player, some quarters, like as uh, the best college basketball player ever. Uh, now, of course, I, I, I watched 10 minutes of him last night, so who am I to agree or disagree? I do know that for the 10 minutes I watched it last night, he was amazing. Because Michigan had gone on, the, on like a 14-zip run. They had scored 14 points without reply. And uh, so for like five minutes, he just kind of went, all right, enough of this. And just basically, like, he is a, a beast. He's not the tallest by basketball standards, but he is broad, boy. And he just bet everybody out of his way for like five minutes and, and kind of put Duke uh, ahead. So they're saying that he's better than LeBron was at the same age. Yeah, did LeBron even play a college though? Like, didn't LeBron, oh, LeBron kind of go straight, straight out of high skipped. school? Yeah, 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 okay. Anyway, whatever it is, uh, I like it was getting far too late for me, but my wife was an, a night owl, so and she played basketball when she, she was younger, so she loves it. So uh, she said, oh, I'm going to watch this. Um, and I kind of went going, meh, whatever. <laughs> and she, we, as we kind of wiped the sleep from our eyes this morning at, 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 as dawn was breaking, she was going, oh my God, oh my God, Michigan won, Michigan won. <laughs> I'm, going, I'm going, you didn't even know this team existed 12 hours ago. <laughs> and now it's the greatest thing ever. <laughs> and they did, though. Like when you're like, just reading about it, it's an, a huge upset. Like it's the quarterfinal stage, Maria, as we would call it, of, the, of March Madness. Uh, but Duke are out. Zion Williamson will never like will go to the pros now. He'll probably go number one in the draft. Uh, and um, Michigan, Michigan have beaten them. Uh, they won. She was said they won by a point. She was enthralled by. It. She said, "Did you not hear me shouting?" <laughs> <laughs> I said, "No, I didn't hear you shouting." If I was downstairs watching a sporting event late into the night and you and the child were sleeping and I was shouting, I would not come up saying, "Did you hear me shouting?" <laughs> Anyway, that was the sport that happened in my house on the weekend. Yeah, like I said, a little bit obscure because we we're, <laughs> we're going to talk about some less obscure stuff now. Less obscure stuff that, that you were at. You were at the, the league final double header yesterday. Yes, in the Baltic conditions of Croke Park. I was off, thanks be to God. Uh, so I kind of watched from afar. Uh, so we will have Jackie Tyrrell on to talk about the hurling final and we'll have Sean Moore on to talk about the football final. But first of all, we're going to start with the... Uh, rugby from Saturday. It was a monumental weekend of Champions Cup rugby and we have Gavin Comiskey in studio to talk about it. Good morning. And we have John O'Sullivan on the line to talk about it. How are you, John? Good morning. Uh, Gav, we'll start with you. It was yesterday, or not yesterday, indeed, Saturday, uh, Leinster and Ulster. Like, what a bruising afternoon. Apart from anything else, apart from any results, it was just ferocious stuff. Yeah, Look, there's a lot of people out there in the world who are not necessarily Leinster fans, or you know, it's. But Ulster fans have been Ulster fans for 20 years because of their European Cup. So a lot of people are like, "On 
who do you support? And you look through the Ulster team, there's a lot of players in it that you might want to support them because they're members of your club or your school or whatever. So there was a lot of... Um, um, I, I find it really fascinating. Like I come in, in my head, I was completely neutral watching the game. I was reporting, obviously, but I was completely neutral just watching this. You're unimpeachable, Gav, unimpeachable. And thank you. But, uh, so it was fascinating to me to watch a bunch of Leinster players hunt down the European champions. Um, John Cooney had this, besides that conversion miss, had this really smooth game and really... A ra- bunch of ex-Leinster players, you mean? Yeah. Right, yes. yeah. Yeah, he just really, really smooth game, just kind of controlling things and all that. But the likes of Ian Henderson set a tone that Jordy Murphy, Nick Timoney, Marty Moore, Greco wrestling with Sean O'Brien over Rooks. And there was a lot, a lot of people making statements. And really quickly it became a bunch of people who've been playing together at underage or have been competing for contracts all their lives since teenagers. So it wasn't really the European champions against this Ulster restructured rebuilding team. It was a, an interprovincial derby of the highest calibre. Yeah. It was uh, savage stuff. Even from early on, uh, Stuart McCloskey ran through uh, Kean Healy. Yeah. And uh, I was actually I was driving uh, and um, for the first part of it and I heard that bit on the radio and they went down to... Uh, what do you call the guy in News Talk? Andy Dunn uh, was down on the sideline and he, he was at sideline level and he just uh, called back up to them, lads. Uh, Healy got up from that and he was kind of laughing as if to go, all right, so that's the kind of game this is going to be. Yeah, big time. Like Darren Cave, uh, who is like the, the great outsider, never really got his chance at centre for obvious reasons because it was the Driscoll era and all that. Stuck at the Gary Ringrose with a real rib tickler earlier on and he was running straight at them. What Ulster did to bring themselves into the game, they said, we're not going to compete at the breakdown like you think we are. We're going to go for Gary Ringrose. And no matter what you do, we're going to be up on our feet and we're going to block him. We're going to clamp him down so Larmer and Adam Byrne and all these guys don't get the ball. And it worked. They put unbelievable pressure on Ringrose. And sure enough, Ringrose had to come back inside and not a minute or two is on the clock when he he opens his wings to try one of his big, long, relieving kicks. And Henderson doesn't only block him, Henderson nearly takes his head off and Rory Best's helping, and then Treadwell, who had a brilliant game. This guy, Kieran Treadwell, was like going, James Ryan's not better than me. You know what I mean? That's the mentality. He went, picks it up, scores a try, and all of a sudden, the le- it's a level playing field. And Ulster should have won the game. They ran out of steam, effectively, in the end. They just ran out of juice, and Leinster's autopilot just got them through. Did Ulster basically take a, a leaf out of the playbook of Wales and England? How they shut down Ireland during the Six Nations, Ulster used a very similar game plan to shut down Leinster. Um, uh, Dan McFarland spoke about it at length afterwards he goes well, what you have to do is your te- tackle technique has to be spot on and to, to play a, a, the game that we played against Leinster you have to be quick onto your feet so it was about make your tackle up on your feet and spread and so you're ready to do it so they, they drilled this and as soon as they got into the quarter final they went there's no tomorrow after this game and we're going to beat the European champions we're going to catch Leinster to go, and they were agonisingly close to doing it it was just a few, actually, do you know what it was? It was Ross Byrne's bottle. It was Ross Byrne doing a really good impression of Johnny Sexton. Without arguing with referees, he was running into contact. He was looking for physicality. He, there was a conversation at the end of the game where uh, Leinster had won their penalty and it was 18-all. Ulster should have been in front only for Cooney misconversion. And he turns around and Ross Byrne, who'd been cramping up and had to come off the pitch, like was definitely, his game was over after this and... Leo Cullen sent a message on going, by all means, kick to the corner and we'll, we'll do them that way. And Ross Byrne turned around to Reese Ruddock, who was then captain, and turned around and go, no, I'm going to kick for goal. I was watching that conversation and to me it looked, I don't know whether it went on a second and a half longer than these conversations usually do, but I was watching it going, oh, these guys don't know what they want to do here. Uh, this is, there's way more prevarication here than there would be if Johnny was on the pitch and this is, this is what's going to do them. I totally was watching them line up that kick and I was going, he's not going to do this. No, they were giving him the option because his his standing leg yeah. was cramping up, right? So they were giving him the option, let's just put it into the corner and not to worry. And he went, no, I'll, let me just let me just do a quick stretch, put it on the tee and I'll put it over the black spot. And it didn't deviate for And do you know what he, did you see him when he turned his leg seized up yeah. and he yelled. He didn't yell in, it, no. he wasn't yelling as if he, like he, he, he was, was a hurler who just yeah. won a free. He was yelling on, get me off the pitch. And they had to completely restructure then. Um, Needless dig at hurling there, Gavin, but we'll let uh, go. <laughs> I'm not sorry. The, uh, but it was just, um, there was so many subplots in it. It was such an interesting game to report on because, like, obviously, Dan Levy, was, Dan Levy's been lost. 
because um, of a horrendous injury. Um, Josh van der Flyer, as Cullen pointed out afterwards, has also gone under surgery. So um, to be cold about it, the, the world has reopened up for Sean O'Brien now, you know. But um, there's a lot. There was a lot of things about Ulster that we saw that they are. I still think they need a net half, but they are going completely in the right direction if they put a bit of a bit of strength and depth into the squad. John, uh, I always. You always look when it, when an underdog in any sport uh, gets very close in the latter stages of a competition. You always go, God, the the problem with these things is that you start from the bottom of the mountain again next year. Like this was, this was a serious chance for Ulster, and now they slide all the way back down the snake and have to start afresh next year. Yeah, I think you give up Dan uh, McFarland a lot of credit. I think he's done a great job with Ulster. I think they were good on both sides of the ball. Ulster got a lot of easy game lines against Leinster. They got over the game line. They got quick ball. They put them under pressure. They held on to the ball. They varied the point of attack really well. And they stressed Leinster, hugely stressed Leinster. And if they'd taken one or more one or more opportunities, you know, it could have been a different result. I thought Leinster's performance, the rhythm again, completely out of kilter. Some of their passing was really, they didn't help themselves. It was noticeable when Noel Reid came on that the ball went out in front of Leinster players. So their, their passing, particularly in the wider channels, got a lot better. His distribution was very, very good when he came on and he gave players, uh, I suppose both sets of players were tiring at the time, but he certainly gave Leinster more of more fluency in terms of what they were trying to do wider out. Um, Leinster rescued the game well. They, you know, they kept hold of the ball and, and a number of key players played. But I still think uh, that Leinster performance wasn't good. The, they effectively, when we break it all down... Leinster lost the game because, or Ulster lost the game because of Jacob Stockdale's non-try. And again, we're being cold and calculated here. I thought it was funny that uh, Freddie Burns sent him a, uh, yeah. a tweet of encouragement. This was nothing like Freddie Did Burns. He, yeah. yeah, because... I've got you, man. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was a bit ridiculous <laughs> because Freddie Burns was celebrating as he ran into the dead ball area and had the ball pushed out of his hand by Maxime Medard. Stockdale... Yeah, this is how Stockdale scores tries and probably the last time he scored them. And there's a total contrast. Look how Munster won the game with Keith Earls, whose descent started two metres before the try line. Aiming himself like a torpedo. Yeah, with ball in two hands, with the pin of the the top of the sword being the ball. And um, the difference was, and Dan McFarlane's defence of Stockdale is valid. He goes, show me a player in the world who can uh, brush off that many players from the halfway line and get into that position. It was very bad defence, actually, by the Adam Byrne and Jordan Larmer, to be honest. Um, Dave Carney gets a bit of credit for getting the hand in. But if Stockdale, maybe it's because he's a, a taller player and uh, he's six foot four or whatever, and it's harder for him to come down. But Shane Horgan was speaking on TV afterwards. He's exactly the same kind of height or shape of player. And he was like, no, it's a howler. It's going to stay with him forever. And I lost him the game. But if it's harder for a tall player to come down, doesn't surely a tall player... Should be in the habit of not dotting the ball down. And should be should be in the habit of a diving. No? What you do with a rugby ball is every single coach will teach you this when, when you're six, seven years old. When you can see it, see the try line, you dive as if you're protecting the ball from, as if it's a bomb, and you don't want to kill all the people around you. You literally dive on the ball and take it in with you, and so only you're you're the only person who's taken out. Right? That's how you do it. That's how you score a try with a rugby ball. It's a sim- It's it's coaching from the start. The thing is. Uh, Jacob Stockland has been told this many times like Nigel Carlin when he was his under 20s coach not three years ago said that we have heart failure watching him going into the dead ball area because he's got the smile on his face the ball's in one hand and he's looking to go under the posts so he's been told countless times that this could happen to you in a massive Champions Cup final and all, your team could lose the game if you don't go ball in two hands and dive and he's so good and he's such a brilliant player and he's probably going to become the best winger in the world by the end of the World Cup I reckon the, the tries he scored this year, and Ulster, there's no way Ulster are in in this match without what he did in, in against Scarlets, what he does in at least once every game. And ironically, it was the exact same patch of grass where he scored the greatest try, possibly the greatest Irish try ever against the All Blacks. Same stretch of land where it's his finest moment and his worst. So he'll recover. He's, Joe, he's not Freddie Burns, I'll tell you that. I wonder, is it significant that the day he scored that try, uh, he knew he'd have to go back and uh, face Joe Schmidt afterwards rather than... <laughs> on yeah. Saturday it just might have slipped his mind yeah look he's been told he's yeah. definitely been told about this so um, look, I, I, my whole point is there's no no lessons to learn here same with Ringrow is like being blocked down twice yeah. in a game these lads 
they they take their time to do relieving kicks. They they will run into the into the dead ball area with one hand because under pressure they don't feel they don't their confidence never dips. They're the same player under the most intense pressure as they are when they're playing around in training. They're once in a generation players, Ringrose and Stockdale, who've arrived at the same time. The two of them both made glaring errors this yeah. weekend. It's no big deal. They're a net plus. Uh John, um you were uh in Edinburgh on Saturday for for Munster's latest uh, how the hell did they do that uh, win in the Heineken Cup? Um, they they really did not deserve to win this game, and yet they did. Yeah, they've a, they've a fantastic knack of finding a way to win matches when they're not necessarily playing at their best. It was like watching a mirror image. The two teams um, both relied heavily on the box kick and the kick chase, and uh, Glasgow probably played a little bit more based on the fact that they had Bill Mata and Darcy Graham, who were uh, both outstanding, great to watch, uh, and Munster were quite conservative in what they were doing. They recalibrated a little bit at halftime. They got an opportunity that was handed to them by Pierre Schumann, the, the Edinburgh prop. It was, uh, we call it a casual contact, and, and Stand was very worried that Tide Byrne was out of the World Cup based on the, the contact, but he managed to get to his feet with a little bit of help from the medical team, so... Yeah, John, hang on just there one second. Are they calling them Neymar now? Are they? Yeah. <laughs> we were having a yeah. conversation about this um, uh, off air beforehand, where uh, Gavin obviously doesn't see anything wrong with people helping the referee. But what Tigburn did there, like if Mo Salah or somebody did that, there'd be think pieces written about it for the week. Was was that not just straight up? You, you can use, you can call it gamesmanship if you want. You can call it cheating. But like he conned the ref. It was being aware of, of your circumstances. and <laughs> Thank you, Your Honour. The last thing is that if you look at it, it's his own player, Jeremy Lachlan, Lachman, I should say, who does more damage to him than Pierre Schumann because he collides with him. But yeah, I think you're right in the sense that, that I don't think the contact was that heavy, but the reaction certainly was. It was theatrical. He dived. He, he, he was hit. If you actually look from the angle, he was hit by a bit of a dunt, good shoulder. Um, which a footballer is allowed to dive like that, by the way, if he gets hit by that kind of a shoulder. But he pulls off this theatrical dive that reversed the penalty that pretty much decided the game. Like totally it, it, decided. It, huge it, the game call was coming in completely the other direction. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, he's going to have to live by it. I'm sure he's okay with it, though. He's going to a semi-final. Yeah, he kicked, they, um, just to, to flesh it out, the Edinburgh kick, or, sorry, Munster kick to the 22. They overthrow the lineup. Blendal, Tyler Blendal, who came on as a replacement for Joey Carby, rescues the ball. And several, Stephen Archer takes it up and then a couple of phases later, Keith Earl scores uh, beautifully in the corner. So, yeah, they got seven points from an incident in which uh, was marginal contact uh, and they benefited from those fine margins on a couple of occasions uh, during the during the match and, and uh, the match was decided on, on a number of, of kind of fine margins. Their defence was from another planet though, John, wasn't it? Monsters. It was. The goal line defence was absolutely stunning. Um, they earned, I mean, you earn your luck as well to a certain degree and, and Munster's defence early on when, when Edinburgh owned the ball and in, in the kind of shadow of their own post was absolutely outstanding. They got off the line, they made their tackles. Um, there were so many penalty turnovers at the breakdown, but they did brilliantly, Munster, in those phases. And and like I say, they kind of, they they persuaded Edinburgh that it was going to be difficult and Edinburgh were, were very linear and narrow in the way they tried to attack Munster around the fringes and Munster just kind of rolled up their sleeves and, and rubbed their hands and said, great, keep coming because you're not going anywhere here. I know, I know you just want to ask about racing uh, Toulouse, which was a fantastic game, but what we're going to keep seeing over the next few weekends, uh, Rory Best has, we, has got taken off with an ankle injury there. We don't know how serious that was. He certainly couldn't play on. He, they tried to strap him. So In two boots on. The 36-year-old Ireland captain... We were always worried if he'd run out of time. We're about to find out. Dan Levy, season over. We also know Josh van der Flyer's gone in for surgery. Just going to keep happening week on and weekend now until the World Cup and we'll see what state Ireland are in in August. Joey Carberry, again, hamstring. We haven't seen him properly since Murrayfield in the Scotland match. So uh, the, the, the test, the great Joe Schmidt thing of rebuilding an Ireland squad is about to get really, really tested, especially for after the semi-final weekend now. Finish off and, uh, and glory over uh, Toulouse Racing first, Gav. Um, it was uh, so again a fascinating game of rugby. Um, Zach Holmes's red card, which is brings the whole tackle thing right under the microscope again because his technique was perfect. Yet he probably had to go because where his shoulder ended up. Um, they 
everyone's gone on about Lucas uh, Tozin's little offload but if you look at the Entomac pa- for Medard's try which is the, one of the best tries you'll ever see Entomac's flat pass it, what we saw was a Toulouse team which are not the Toulouse team Leinster sorted out in the RDS a couple mm. of months ago they've gone on to another level again now to beat racing in racing nobody's really done it I think this season um, shows that um, they're back and they're they're going to be um, they're going to come to Dublin as a completely different animal from the team that was Leinster wore down um, it's Who, like genuinely when we sat here to, to start our, our club season talking about the Heineken Cup like the idea of a Toulouse Leinster semi final uh, in the Aviva was like that wasn't on the radar at all. No, no, they'd be, everyone knew they were coming, but they're young yeah. players who were only. You don't n- come this quick. They were 19, 20, but yeah. if they are, they've matured. Entomax ready to go now, yeah. clearly. The Six Nations must have done them loads of good. We would have been able to predict Munster going to Coventry for yeah. uh, Saracens, for Saracens which been, is yeah. the worst thing. <laughs> they keep talking about how they can't get over the semi-final home. Well, you, you, there's no harder semi-final home than the Rioch against Saracens, yeah. who are oh, as awesome as ever, you know. Uh, listen, lads, thanks very much, and we will uh, catch up again as we go along. Thanks, John. Thanks, Gav. You were in Croke Park yesterday, Pat? Yes. For, well, for both games, obviously, but for the first one for Limerick, just kind of steadfastly showing everybody who they are. They're really looking like the best team in the country at the moment, yeah. to my eyes. They, they actually deadened the atmosphere in Croke Park with how good they were. Wow. There was about 10 minutes into the second half, there was no way you could have envisaged them losing that game. To tell us uh, why and to uh, stand up his uh, earlier in the year assertion of how crap Limerick are, uh, Jackie Turrell is on the line. Jackie, how are you? Morning, Maliki. I'm good. How are you? I am well. I am well. So uh, we may as well get the elephant out of the room to start off with, Jackie. Uh, start of the league, you were, or a couple of games into the league, you were, you were doubting where Limerick stood. Where, where are you with them now? You know, I, I, I still I still feel like there's like the, the doubts that I had then were about them being all Ireland champions. Mm. And at the end of the league, yeah, we, we didn't think that they'd literally dominate and demolish everyone in the league. But I still think the challenges are going to come in the, in the face of a round robin um, in, 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 in terms of squad rotation and things like that. Um, so I'm still more or less in that same headspace, but you would only have to stand back um, and be completely in awe of what Limerick have done. They've just, not alone have they carried on their momentum from the All-Ireland, they've blown everyone out of the water really. And I know the goalposts have probably changed this modest with people's attitudes towards the league, but they can only beat what's in front of them. And at the minute, they're beating them at, at will. So, you know, hugely impressed. Um, I suppose the thing probably from Limerick point of view, who's new going to come into that team and yesterday there was two guys probably Tom Condon and Peter Casey Tom Condon probably got, got pulled off at half time so um, I would expect Mike Casey to come back come, come championship time um, but Peter Casey seems to be the real fine for Limerick in, in, in this league so that's obviously a bonus for them you would like to think that maybe another one or two will have stepped up but maybe that will come through the uh, the Munster Round Robin series so they're in a really healthy place they're in a really great place to take the league on Take the round robin, round robin Munster championship on, um, but Munster is just a minefield mm. at the minute. You know, trying to predict who'll come out of that. Obviously, Limerick will be top of the pile. After that, you can you can throw them up in the air, in whatever way they fall in, because it's just it's it's really tight, and no one else really in the league stamped their authority. You could say to a lesser extent, maybe Waterford did, but they kind of fell flat in their face yesterday, a small bit. So, um, there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of teams out there that will really fancy their cham- chances of getting to a, a provincial final, and then after that, it opens up for everyone. As you as you say, Jackie, like they've dominated the league. But what what have you seen in them that has made them dominate? Is it is it this sort of the their their physicality, the shape that they're in, or their attitude, or is it when you look at them, their so, their their stick work is so precise and so clean, their hurling is so clean, and that. Uh, I guess at a time of the year when the ball moves slower and the pitches are heavier and all that, that nearly gives them that sort of split-second advantage as they go along. Yeah, well, there's a couple of things in that, Maliki. They're, they're an overall, their overall team work and ethic is, is huge, but they have a system of play and they stick to it. And that system of play is, is one that, that bottles up the middle third, that welcomes teams to engage physically in that middle third. And they're the best in the country at that, as in like stopping a team, turning them over, and then their distribution from there, which their skill level kicks in, and they hurl off instinct then, but they all know what's going on. They all know that 
that that Dermot Burns when he gets the ball he's going to look up and play the channels they know that the, the full forward side full forward line side run laterally so they're not running out the field as in, like they make a run they run across field because if you run out the field and you don't get the ball well then you have to make another one and another one and before you know it, you're 40 50 yards from the goal so they run across the 21 so and they keep doing that Aaron Galan particularly and Peter Casey so that eventually when the time opens up when there's space available when Limerick get the ball when the ball is there, they're getting that ball. How many times have you seen it? 20, 30 yards out and the chances on of a score, maybe even a goal. So that system of play is, they have it really, really defined. They all know the roles within it. And to beat that system, you, you almost have to match it and go toe-to-toe with them. And you're playing on their terms then. You're, 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 you're playing a system that they've really come up with and have perfected to this stage. Um, but they tick all the other boxes, their physicality, their athleticism. And within their team, they have a really elite skill level, skill group. Like, and, and before you would have thought, like, with teams, there's two or three lads that are crucial to it. Obviously, Keane Lynch is, is hurler of the year and playing some unbelievable hurl. But if he goes out of the team... You know, there's some of the parts still, you know, there's obviously a big gap there, but they'll just put someone else in there that will fill that role as a, a as a ball winner in that middle third. Obviously, he's he's an elite as what he can do going forward, but I don't think it hurts him as much of a Kilkenny losing a TJ Reid or, or a Galway losing a Joe Canning. So it's the sum of all the parts that is really impressive for Limerick. I was wondering something watching them yesterday, Jackie. One of the things that they do with their short passing and defence is that they create the space for the defender to hit the ball in. And it often ten- tends to be quite low trajectory ball, I- ideally diagonally. In other words, you have Aaron Gillan catching ball, but he, when you say catching ball, he, he's catching it on the run, he's catching it at chest height. If you're a corner back in that situation, is there anything you can do to to combat it? Yeah, well, as a defender, and you've seen yesterday, there was balls, those diagonal balls that were going into the limit forward. And sometimes Waterford had one, two defenders back there. And the quality of the distribution, this is the skill level we're talking about, they were taking those guys out. They they were they were like they were in were in twenty thirty yards of Aaron Galan, but because the distribution was so good, because the run was so clinical and timed, that they just took him out of it and they gained they could secure possession and then either took the score themselves or offloaded for someone else. What do you do is that a cornerback? I think you've you you've got to kind of zonally cut off these channels. So um have a situation where a cornerback, if you're marking Aaron Galan, like the principles of hurling don't change. Getting out in front, or even getting out shoulder to shoulder with them, it, it denies them that clean possession. Now, obviously, the ball is going to be going in very well. So, it, there's a bit of a gamble. And if you see Dermot Burns going to uh, flick him, you have to take a gamble and get out in front, spoil these lads, um, and use your guides better in front of you. They're half the half back line. Of, of water, yes, they dropped back, but they didn't drop back with any purpose. They just dropped back and filled roles. They got to drop back and literally be looking behind them. Where's Aaron Galan going? Where's the ball coming? Dermot Burns has the ball, all right. There, and it is obvious the pockets of space that they're going to put it into. So they've got to expect more out of the guys dropping back. They've got to be more aggressive as a cornerback coming out and taking those balls. And uh, because, and I think you can be more gung ho because if you take a chance and go out. And really attack it. Well, you have got an extra defender if if it does go the other side of you, or if they play the ball at a certain certain way that it takes you out. You have an extra defender back there, but it's it's very hard to defend. But I I just think it's a combination of an aggressive play from cornerback, but also the half back line have to have to drop back. But the final piece in this, and this is so so important, there has to be, and we used to pride ourselves in Kilkennywood unbelievable pressure if you have eight to ten bodies in that middle third there shouldn't be any situation where any limit player should get the ball be able to plant their foot look up and say do you know what i can hit x y or z they should be getting that ball on their back foot and hitting a long loop and high ball in and as a defender well that's the advantage to you that's meat and butter to you because all you have to do is spoil it you'll have your your halfbacks dropping back and that's the really important piece there's not enough pressure being put on the, the half-back line for, for Limp yesterday. How many times did we see him get the ball, look up, could even check back and, and, and change a different direction of the ball in? So it's those three combination things, but the ball in, like, and, and we, we used to say it with Kenny, like the best of hurlers, JJ Delaney, he would often say, if the ball going in is of top quality, well, there's not a whole lot you can do. Yeah, you can try spoil and things like that, but if the ball in takes you out of the equation, what are you to do? So um, I think teams will, will focus on those three things, but in particular, bring an animalistic work rate to that middle third so that when Limerick get the ball, they don't have the luxury of, of being able to pick out these passes to Peter Casey and Aaron Glam. It's funny, uh, uh, Pat, that uh, you know, Jackie's talking about the ball in because I know you watched that 
that uh, scrap between him and Noel Connors yesterday and like Galan scored 1-9-1-5 from play and you're still going just Noel did alright yeah I actually thought Noel Connors had a decent game <laughs> um, now he was only he got switched on to Galan after Galan had scored two points mm. I think from play so he, he conceded uh, from his direct opponent 1-3 from play you'd kind of be thinking oh that's a bad day at the office but given any time as Jackie says any time the ball was a little bit contaminated going in Noel Connors did well but most of the time, Galan was sprinting out into space and catching ball. And like like Jackie says there, you can't do anything with a, the quality of striking of guys like Galan now. If you're one step off him, you're just hoping that he's going to miss it. Like, And it's generally not going to happen. Jackie, talk to me about Waterford. What sort of evolution have you seen in them? You know, I, I would have seen an evolution up to yesterday in a sense that they are committing more bodies uh, going forward. Uh, Tyg de Burke's role is a bit more advanced. They do similar things with their half-forwards and the half-back. Their half-backs have the freedom to go forward um, and with their half-forwards then can drop back and cover it off. But yesterday, I just thought they looked confused. I thought they didn't really know what they were about. They didn't engage with terms with the physicality of Limerick in the middle third. They allowed Limerick to get that ball and they were five, ten yards off in that, in that middle third. I thought Walter would push right up put pressure on him. I thought Jamie Barron would be in Keane Lynch's face. I thought bringing Brick Welsh into the team, I thought that's ideal to put him over on Dermot Burns, just sit on Dermot Burns, engage with him physically, annoy him, be in his face. You know, we don't want Brick Welsh getting on the ball, spraying balls, that's not his game. And But they didn't do that. They just seemed to sat back, sit back and not really mark anyone zonally in, the, in defence. I felt sorry for Noel Connors. I thought he was doing a decent job. But like to think that Aaron Galan scored that and also had eight wides, it just shows Limerick had the, had the running of the park yesterday. So, like, the things that were positive and that Limerick or Walford worked on in the league didn't really come off yesterday. Like, Austin Gleeson's role, he went out of the game, he wasn't a factor. And they whipped Brick Welsh off at halftime, who I think was probably one of their positives. Stephen Bennett was didn't really function at full forward. They brought him out the field. Tied to Burka wasn't defined. He didn't know his role at all. He didn't know if he was meant to be on the edge of the D or getting up with Kyle Hayes and putting pressure on him. And in the end, he didn't either because Kyle Hayes went back, drifted, got the ball. And then when he looked up, Ty DeBurke wasn't really influence, uh, influencing the runs or anything that Limerick were down inside. So, um, Just I, like, on, actually, Jack, I just, I was just on DeBurke, it's funny, I, I was at the semi-final against Galway and there was a little bit of that as well. Now, partly it was his first start back and he looked a little, he lacked a bit of sharpness anyway. But... Uh, you were still watching it going, this guy, like he has spent so long in such a defined role, you know, he he was the the sweeper extraordinaire. And though he took a few catches yesterday and in the in the Galway game, it it is exactly that, as if they haven't worked out exactly where he's supposed to be, what he's supposed to be doing. And like for such an important player and such a great player, they like they can't have him going through the Monster Championship confused. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it takes a while to recalibrate your brain. Obviously, mm. if you're used to not marking anyone, of sitting on the edge of the D as 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 just protecting protecting that environment, to go to a situation where you're a six, where you're playing a conventional six role, which is stepping, probably playing 30 or 40 yards up the field, you're responsible for a player, you're not solely marking anymore. Um, and that had the hallmarks of it yesterday. He just, I don't know if it's taken a while for him to recalibrate that whole mindset, we have to be fair to him in the sense that it's only his second game back. Mm. And you see things like Ty Burke, he was dropping balls, he was fumbling balls, which is bread and butter for him considering the way he's played at a, an elite level the last couple of years. So I would say there's an element of rustiness in it, but I think Paul Fanning will need to be sitting down and having chats with us and showing him exactly what he wants from him because at the minute he looked at, he looked a little bit lost and he was even getting balls and before where he'd break out and pop a pass out, he was hitting loopy high balls out to Shane McNulty. I, 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 I seen one last night on the Sunday game. You know, by the time the ball got to Shane McNulty, he'd only one option to hit up over the line. Mm. Just his decision making wasn't really clear cut. So there's definitely a, 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 an element of what actually Ty the Burke's role is within it. And I, I think the fact that Jamie Barron was under such pressure with Keane Lynch, Jamie Barron normally drops back and gives a little protection to Ty the Burke, which lets lets him free up and kind of go hunt the ball a little bit more. Whereas Jamie Barron had his hands full, kind of trying to detail Keane Lynch yesterday. So I also think there was a, a direct link there in, 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 in the kind of uncertainty that Ty the Burke played with yesterday. All right, Jackie. Listen, thanks a million for that. And we'll chat to you as the summer goes along. 
Cool. Cheers. Thanks, lads. All the best. We will finish off with uh, the other final that was in Crook Park yesterday, Pat. You were there too. Uh, Mayo uh, beat Kerry in the end uh, by four points with a fantastic closing uh, quarter uh, in the best Mayo tradition. Uh, Sean Moore and you were there. Uh, I've heard people sort of the the usual and and predictable kind of arrow lads look at look at how happy they are to win their little league title. I I got the sense that they were nearly nearly celebrating uh, more the fact of how they did it in the end as much as the fact of that they did it. I'm sure that's uh, that, that fed into it. I mean, you have to sympathise with Mayo here. You know, for the entirety of this decade, they've been contending like, at the really highest levels and. One of the frequent nostrums that was being supplied to them at the start of every year is, why would Mayo go and win the league? You know, like everyone who's serious goes to win the league and Dublin win the league and they win All-Ireland. And and now when they've won the league and beaten serious opposition in the final and done it, as you say, uh, pretty much the hard way by having to uh, take it in the the final quarter, uh, it really behoves people to get sniffy about it and say, you know, look at them there, look at them. Uh, pretending they've they've, they've they've accomplished something serious. Uh, the, the, the league has been a really has borne a really strong relationship to the championship. Um, you know, this decade and arguably since the qualifiers were introduced um, in, in, in 2001, and I think it's a significant box for them to tick. Whether it's come maybe a bit late in their their evolution, we won't know till the, till the summer. But it, it was a perfect repast to the sort of year they had last. Last year and particularly last summer, where they didn't make the quarterfinals and everything, um, it was it was a good win. They've had a, a good campaign, and it's also been a, a resilient campaign because they lost the two matches that everyone said they had to win, which was against Dublin and, and Galway. You know, lay down markers and make statements and all the rest, and they didn't do that. But they bounced back to go and win Tralee and to beat Monaghan, and then to to go on and and win this. I, I think it has, it has been very satisfactory from from their point of view and and showcased some uh, some decent. New players as well, which is something they've they've needed uh, for, for a couple of years, and uh, and I think they have every right to view and and showcase some uh, some decent new players as well, which is something they've they've needed uh, for, for a couple of years, and uh, and I think they have every right to be happy with themselves. They did, Sean, as you say, do it the hard way a little bit. You know, it was fairly dramatic stuff at the end, and only for Robbie Henley's uh, brilliant save from from Clifford, they they could have lost this game. But having said that, James Horne admitted it after the match that they actually should have won by more. They should have. They were well on top in this game. Yeah, they they, they had plenty of goal chances. They they probably you know had another three good goal chances. Shane Ryan, the Kerry goal, played very well and and, and blocked a, a a couple of them. Um, and they 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 did. Open up Kerry on, on on occasion. Now, of course, Kerry themselves could have had uh, could have had more scores uh, as well. But I think, yeah, James Horn was right in in the sense that I think particularly uh, in the first half they seemed a bit shot shy in the way they were they were approaching it, and then in the in the, in the second half, which they they probably dominated to a greater extent than than Kerry had in the first half, uh, they probably could have got more scores out of it. But in a way, I think you make the point that it's it, that's a, a good way to win a, a national final when you are under pressure and you have to, and, and you know, Mayo's curse over the last, you know, 60 years has often been going down the final straight, neck and neck, and not being able to get there ahead of the other team. And they did that uh, yesterday, uh, did it in some style as well. Well, I thought uh, one of the very interesting aspects of it, Sean, were that, you know, God knows we've been to all the All-Ireland finals where they were there coming down the stretch against Dublin and then Dublin ran the bench and it was the bench that mattered. Um, they threw on Andy Moran, who made a, a real impact. They threw on Colin Boyle, who made a real impact. The, you know, their bench came on and did did what needed to be done in the end game. Yeah, yeah, even down to Kieran Tracy getting the, the exactly, third yeah. goal, the goal that kind of sealed it in the end. Um yeah, and, and and I felt you know okay like Kerry Kerry were able to bring on uh, Paul Gainey and James Donoghue, obviously important players for them. You'd imagine uh, going forward, but I think there was a, probably uh, just switching the focus slightly to them. Mm. Uh, 
there were signs maybe that the the, the, the recall uh, the, the the recall experiments with Jack Sherwood at full back and Tony Walsh at full forward uh, didn't go as, as as well as maybe they had been during the league and they were both re- replaced. Um, but I think again, in fairness uh, to Mayo, after maybe a ropey enough start, I thought they really defended well and uh, you know even by. But by, by by the end of it, for for for, for Tommy Walsh, uh, you know Chris Barris was getting up over him and, and knocking away ball coming in mm. for uh, you know the, for for an attacking mark, and they you know they ended up well well on top. They did, yeah, and and like I thought that was that sort of period uh, with about sort of twenty twenty five minutes to go, um, really. Mayo's sort of experience came to the fore. You like the, especially in defence, where they started to repel attack after like carry attack after carry attack was kind of breaking down on the Mayo forty-five, and you saw Lee Keegan coming out with the ball. You saw uh, Keith Higgins coming out with the ball. You saw Donny Vaughan and then when Colin Boyle came on, them coming out with the ball, and um, that was that was the sort of the launch pad for everything that that, that happened in the last twenty minutes, and then of course like. Dear Mode O'Connor kind of took over the game in a superhuman effort in the last 20 minutes. Yeah. You see, the thing is, and this played into a lot of the previews, including my own, I'd have to say that, you know, it's all very well for, for Mayo kind of ancient and gnarly mm. as they are to be winning matches in rain-swept conditions in Tralee on a Saturday, on a Saturday night. But, you know, when it comes to the, the crisp... On a fine surface in in, in Croke Park, the, the the younger Kerry players will will have a natural advantage. But it kind of shows that physicality is no harm in Croke Park either. No, you know, that he, he, when when matches get tight, it it, it it's a, it's a fine big pitch, but it often doesn't seem that way when when you're out there with, with a physical team. And I I think that Mayo really kind of bullied Kerry in the end, and that in in that kind of sporting sense of the of the word, making it very hard for them physically to to get a foothold back into the game, and uh, yeah, all the more experienced players. I think it was probably a, a thing in the in the in the in the first half as as well that they didn't panic. Mayo didn't panic too too much, uh, given the wind and and the way it was going. Um, you know, it, it looked at one stage if maybe the match was getting away from them a bit when the second carry goal went in, but. They, they bided their time, and then when they got the the, the advantage in the in the second half of of the conditions, they really made them count. What about Kerry, uh, Sean? They, uh, I thought it was instructive. Well, I don't know. You can read too many things into single incidents, but um, I thought it was interesting that when, when Dermot O'Connor punched the the sort of goal out of nothing, that was Sean O'Shea who who was jumping with him. Like whatever about you know Peter Keane. What he's what he's doing with them when he's bringing through players and you know the the defense is obviously a big part of what they need to do. How Sean O'Shea finds himself last man back on the edge of the square defending a high ball, something has gone amiss there. It was absolutely weird the number of times. I mean Sean O'Shea um, for someone who's been one of the most prominent forwards in the in the league campaign, his best his best work was done back in his own defense blocking and. Uh, and, and and providing you know uh, support and an outball and all this sort of thing. You, you saw a defensive player. So who, who was that? It's Sean O'Shea. What's he, what's he doing there? But I think the way that Kerry uh, play and they're, they've got kudos rightly for tightening up the the defence. But it, you know it, it it's a very exhausting uh, game for for young fellas to be. You know as soon as they don't have the ball, this. They're all flooding back and uh, and and you know really congesting uh, the space and in front of their their own goal and their own half. And I I, I too was really surprised at the number of times that uh, I, I spotted I spotted them back in defence more than I spotted them up in attack. To be honest, and it was really emblematic that when they that when that crossed signals happened uh, in the in the in their defense of that dropping ball that, it, that there was him rather than anyone else that was there with the with, with the goalkeeper um the, I, I know that you know probably you have to have a, a more forward oriented game plan and conditions and everything of, of, of the of the summer but uh Sean O'Shea uh, you know he he had a great um first year in in the league but it wasn't as prominent in in, in the championship and uh You'd think that they'll need to be getting that attacking 
uh, stuff out of him in this year's uh, championship rather than an excessive tracking back and, and getting involved in defensive plays. I was wondering, did he just go back into his own half sometimes to get away from Lee Keegan? Because <laughs> Lee Keegan absolutely damned him for the whole game. I, I, I was kind of fascinated watching it. And actually, at the, in the second half, when Stephen O'Brien started causing them a couple of problems with some neat incisions, they switched Keegan onto O'Brien and and stopped that in its tracks as well. I'd say Lee Keegan could have followed him to Houston Station. Well, yeah, at the, at, the, at the cheap price of one yellow card in the in the forty first minute. Yes, he uh, he he. That was he a, got a good very, value for his yellow card. Uh, as a as a currency exchange rate, he did very well for his day there, Lee Keegan. <laughs> <laughs> well, so the the league is over and. Uh, we're, we're heading from here into the championship, but I guess the thing to look back on now at this point is the the experimental rules. Mm. Um, Malika, we'll start with you. Was What of the rules would you like to see kept? Would you like to see any of them kept? Interestingly, I was watching it yesterday, uh, and for a while, I, it did strike me at one point that um, I think somebody took a mark at one stage, and I went, oh yeah, of course, they're playing under the, the, the new rules. Um the game doesn't look particularly different. I do well. That that could be unfair to it. Uh, maybe what I mean is that the 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 rules kind of got um, because they didn't do the hand pass rule. Um, the 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 rules sort of settled into the flow of the game very relatively straightforwardly. I think some of them have made a big difference. I think uh, oddly the the, the kick out one. The fact that the ball. Uh, is kicked out from the 20 metre line I think that has genuinely changed a little bit of how goalkeepers are able to react how quickly they're able to take it take take a kick out like okay 7 metre sounds absolutely nothing when you're sprinting out with the ball but it's almost I think it's almost fed into a, a mental thing with goalkeepers I think they have a little bit just kind of given up on the short kick out the really quick short one chipped to the full back, um, purely because it the, the the extra seven meters is an extra quarter half a second for the other team to get set, uh, and so I think that has been a, a mental thing. Obviously, the the um, forward mark has been a big thing in certain games. It was a big thing for Monaghan their first day out. They kind of caught Dublin cold with it. It has been a big thing for certain players. Uh, who are just very good at getting away from their markers? Like it, it sort of came a little bit late for for the likes of David Clifford. But like, if this came into the game, David Clifford would be almost certainly the best forward in the game. Because if you're ever at a live game and you watch his runs, how he bamboozles a corner back to make space, like this would be tailor made for for a player like him. Um, uh, and that has been the interesting thing about it is that it's more so. For it has more so rewarded movement rather than the idea of it rewarding the big uh, lighthouse on the edge of the square, which I think a lot of people were thinking of it. Um, the the fact that you have to kick every for- sideline ball forward, I don't think anybody has even noticed. It got whistled yesterday Did it, in yeah. Croke Park, <laughs> and I think the entire stand stopped and went, "What was that for?" Yeah, and, and uh, you can see everybody explaining to the person beside them. So I think some of them will just will just come in. Like I, I, I don't think there'll be any big roaring or shouting about them. Um, uh, and I think in general, if you've watched the teams that have won the leagues, if you go down through the divisions. Um, it has the teams that that play the ball forward that use the kick pass that sort of stuff. I think I th- and, and I know you don't particularly agree with this, but I think in general the game is evolving a little way. The teams that are getting success that are winning competitions are not the teams that are playing the big mass defense. Uh, and I think teams are are gradually moving away, uh, and that is the big problem. That is the big problem with the game. Um, these rules. Bit by bit, maybe contribute to that, but you know, ultimately, it's going to be success and mindset that that moves teams away. Uh, Sean, I, I reckon that the you'd see the mark being if we if it gets to the championship, it would be weaponized completely by teams using tactics as opposed to. I think it's a bit of an afterthought in the league. Yeah, I mean, we famously we've Dublin uh, allegedly ignoring it altogether, um, but it won't be. 
I think Dublin's universe is very much built around this summer, so I mean they're not really going to be that interested in rules that may come in uh, in the autumn for for the following year. So uh, I think what we'll see is probably the forward mark. Yeah, I mean someone's saying to me that uh, uh, after after one of the matches, even Mickey Hart couldn't find much wrong to say about <laughs> it. Uh, that he didn't exactly gush about it possibilities but he uh, he didn't he didn't damn us either and uh and with good reason because i mean it one of the one of the major developments of this year's league has been the way that Toronto played a more more forward looking game and mm. uh, and used uh, not necessarily the mark it, it, it itself or not geared completely towards it but just the idea of having uh, two uh, good ball winners up in the, up in the attack and they did very well out of it and came with a late run and were probably the best team in the in the in the, in the championship or in the in the league uh, over over the last uh, few few uh, over the last few matches but um, but in in general, I think that probably that would stand a good chance of of, of coming in. I don't think there, there, there's any great uh, hostility towards. I think Maliki's right that it's uh, the idea that it would be essentially like you'd, you'd have ruckmen in, in AFL terms. They're leaping into the in, in, into the air. It's been more nuanced than that, and rewards you know the, the forward to find space as well. Um, I would hope that the that the Sinmin thing has ended, but I'm not sure it will be. I think it's uh, the usual uh, GA attitude of being a kind of a conspiracy for delinquency is the uh, anything that punishes uh, foul play or indiscipline uh, in, a, in in a more lenient manner seems to find favour. And uh, as for the other ones, I'd agree that you don't uh, you you know you, you probably haven't seen that standing out in the matches take Maliki's point I think it's correct that, uh, that probably that kick out um, adjustment has pushed play forward uh, a bit we do see, still see when teams kind of withdraw on that that they lose the, the short ball option but it's made the it's made the kind of the longer one probably a little less risky in that you're farther out to launch it and yeah and the, and the line ball no one particularly notices it so it'll be interesting to see I, I'm expecting with be a special congress sometime in in the autumn to 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 to, to give the thumbs up or the thumbs down. Listen, to listen the, to the joy in Sean's voice when he mentions a special congress <laughs> yeah. in the autumn. Yeah. Yeah. The, another weekend gone. Well, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> I have to say that um, you know, with the with, with congress having ha, having vacated April uh, and everything else having vacated April, you'd almost you'd almost miss a congress in the next few weeks. <laughs> Uh, Shut up! Such a, Shut such up! The, when, the sports when, when, editor listens to this. He'll find something for us to do in the coming I know, weeks. I know, <laughs> I know he will. Yeah, I'm just think that we would be good to have uh, good to have kind of standard things to go to. But but but, but similarly in the in the in the, in the tumbleweed days of the autumn when the when the now earlier all Irelands are over, um, special congress mightn't be. Uh, you mightn't have to. Uh, Mightn't have to, to kind of uh, reach for yeah. your your, yeah. your, your heart monitor. Okay, I'm telling but, you now, Sean, you'll be on your own, and we won't be getting you on in the Monday morning to, uh, uh, after, the to, to after the special congress. You'll be fine. Well, well, you, you don't know either. <laughs> well, I suppose things take off in other, in other sports. Listen, should thanks. never uh, should never uh, overlook the overlook the possibilities of <laughs> killing a few minutes of a special congress. But that's what will, well, we have killed... Anyway. Sean, Sean, we've killed far too many minutes here. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, thank you to Gav and to John who were on talking with the rugby earlier. Thank you to Jackie Tyrrell who joined us on the hurling. Thank you to you, Pat. Thanks, Matt. Thank you to Declan behind the glass furiously winding up and we will see everybody next week. Cheers. <laughs>